You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Well, good evening, Plus Life. It's great to see everyone out tonight. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 for tonight's sermon. Last weekend, our family was in Calgary. Uh, we were enjoying a wedding there, uh, our cousin's wedding, and we had a great time. You know, the, the weather was great, and the, so it was an outdoor wedding, so it was a beautiful ceremony, and so praise God for the good weather that we had. Tonight, I'll be preaching a standalone sermon uh, before we get back into our series in John next week, so definitely look forward to that series kicking uh, back again, and Pastor Ian will be leading that. Um, but tonight's topic that I'll be preaching on tonight is an interesting one because it's a topic of which economics and the Bible intersect. You might be wondering what topic is that, and tonight we're going to be looking at the topic of stewardship and what the Bible has to say about that. Late theologian and former atheist C.S. Lewis once said, Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not have him anything that was not in a sense his own already. In other words, we as Christians are to steward everything that we have been given to us by God. Now, if I went ahead and asked the question, what does stewardship mean to you? Or what does stewardship look like in your life today? I'm sure we're going to get a whole ton, ton of different answers. And it's gonna, uh, there's going to be so many uh, uh, variations as to what the answer of that question may be. What comes to your mind? Do you think about finances? Do you imagine our church running a giving campaign? Does taking care of the environment come to mind? All these ideas and much more are part of what it means to be a good steward. But it doesn't paint a complete picture, the complete biblical picture of what stewardship is. So often we can get stewardship confused with the principle of tithing, right? Giving God that, that 10%. And it's not all the same thing. And so unfortunately, many Christians today associate this idea of stewardship with sermons that are about church budgets and about uh, building programs, and they're not really thinking big picture. The reality is stewardship is a theme in the Bible that you can trace from Genesis to Revelation, and it's rooted in creation. It's highlighted throughout the Bible, and it influences your life and the way that you live for the glory of God. When the New Testament describes and defines what it means to be a servant of Christ, it's really this word of stewardship that's being used. When you think of economics, right, the ethical and emotional issues that surround it, they're usually topics of discussion that you find in the front headlines of a newspaper or in the front headlines of a blog, a news blog. And this is particularly true when it comes to election years, right? when much of the debate focuses on economic issues, and we don't initially see what other, the other issues are, like education, like abortion. And these are all questions of economics. When we understand broadly, economics just doesn't have to do with money. It doesn't have to do just with taxes or businesses or the management of resources. It includes all the resources, 
including the resources of unborn children, the resources of educational materials and policies. In other words, how we use our resources is the subject of economics. And in a biblical sense, it is the greatest concern of stewardship. There's actually this verbal link between um, the English word and the Greek word. So the Greek word for economy uh, or economics is okionomos, which is made up in two parts. The first part of that word is okios or okos. I'm definitely butchering this, guys. Oikos, which is the word for house. I thought it meant yogurt, but it doesn't mean yogurt. It means house. And then the second part of that word is nomos, which means law. And so when you combine those two words together, it means uh, literally house law. And so oikonomos, transliterated in English, is economics. But the English translation of the word is stewardship. And so stewardship and economics are closely related. They're very close in nature. They're, they're related concepts. And in fact, the New Testament Christians, uh, there was really no distinction between those two words for them. So you see, a steward in the ancient world was a person who was given the responsibility and authority to rule over the affairs of the household. For example, there's Joseph, right, in the story of uh, him and Potiphar's house. He was to rule uh, over over the house. He was, to, he was given authority to rule. In his role, he was responsible for managing the household. He wasn't to waste the resources of, that fa- of the family, but he was to make wise decisions. And so the role of being a steward was not something that just happened to emerge in, in you know, the ancient times in Greece. And it wasn't invented in the times of Joseph uh, with the Egyptians. Uh, the steward's role comes from the principle of stewardship, which is rooted, again, in creation. So my goal tonight, church, is to show you from Scripture what stewardship is and to bring you to this renewed understanding of how Christ fits into this topic. And I pray that you'd understand biblical stewardship is one of the primary ways in which Christ calls us to live our life. And so if you have your Bibles open with you, please stand with me in the reading of God's Word, Genesis chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter here. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters and there were under the expanse from the waters uh, and that were above the expanse. And so it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. 
And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit, trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of heavens and to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate, separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. Verse 20, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea, creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, according to, to their kinds. And every winged bird, according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with the seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Verse 30 and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on this earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that we could stand here and hold your very word. God, that what, what you have preserved and what you've protected so that we could know who we are and what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. Lord, as we look to your word tonight, would you give us ears to hear and minds to understand it? And Lord, through the power and working of your Holy Spirit, would you give us hearts to passionately live these things out for your fame and for your glory, God, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. We pray for uh, those who are here tonight that have not heard you, Lord, that have not heard your call, I pray that tonight, Jesus, would you give them eyes to see who you are? And then, Lord, as followers of Christ, would you help us to be stewards, Lord? Help us to practice a biblical stewardship and glorify you in that, God. We pray, God, that you would work in our hearts to, to live these things out, Lord. 
We pray, God, that you would have your way and that I would be used as an instrument of peace. We ask all these things knowing that you go before us and that you'll have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, before you take your seat, tell someone the title of my sermon, From Theft to Stewardship. From Theft to Stewardship. All right, you may be seated. Tonight's topic, again, is an interesting topic because it's where Christian faith intersects with the laws of economics. And it's not uncommon for many people to think that those two concepts even intersect at all. In fact, there are many unbelievers who are surprised at the notion that economics has any relationship whatsoever with the Christian faith. And it's interesting because on the other hand, there are many Christians who assume economics is about how greedy people satisfy their lustful hearts and for, uh, satisfy their pride for life. In fact, the opposite is true. God is interested in both the spiritual and the material aspects of His creation. And there are many truths that indicate the connection between economic theory and the Christian view of humanity and nature. In the Bible, stewardship is just another way of, of talking about how you live your life. In the New Testament books, I mentioned the word steward is rooted from the Greek word oikonomos, which means economics, but it also means the manager of the household. Well, let me ask you this. Has someone ever asked you to watch their kids? Are you responsible for managing an office or people under an em employer? Do you have a financial advisor overseeing your investments? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then you are or have been a steward. In general, to steward is to manage something on someone else's behalf. Whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, or it's an employer that asks you to watch over something, it's, that is what stewardship is. You're stewarding, you're managing whatever they entrusted to your care. And if you were a steward, again, in ancient Greek culture, you weren't the owner of the house. Instead of being the owner, you, you are the manager of that household making sure that that home is clean, that you're managing the finances of that home, that you've managed all those things on behalf of the owner. Stewardship in the Bible has to do with understanding that your life is not your own. Your life is a loan from God, regardless of whether you acknowledge that or not. God calls you to steward everything you have in your life for His glory. To help us better, better understand this, let's take a look at our passage on stewardship to give us a better understanding of, of what biblical stewardship means. So someone say jump. All right, verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You see, it begins in that very first verse. In the very first verse, God created the heavens and the earth. Who created the heavens and the earth? God. Colossians 1, 15 to 16 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or, or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. So who is this firstborn of all creation, full of grace, full of truth? John 1.1 1, 1 tells us that what in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was? And the Word was? And verse 14 of that same passage tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So what does this passage reveal to us about Christ in relation to stewardship? We first need to understand that Christ created everything. Christ created everything. That's my first point for tonight. This is the preeminence of Christ that we've, we've preached about here on this pulpit before. He created everything. He created the expanse of the universe. He created the, the planet, the stars, the skies, the land, the sea, every living thing. And He created you. There's not one subatomic particle in this entire world that Christ has not created. This is the beginning of the Bible and this is the beginning of all biblical stewardship principles. The foundation of stewardship is built upon this reality, church, that Christ created everything. So whatever viewpoint that you may have about how creation came to be, there is one undisputable teaching in Genesis 1 that God is creator. And He created everything with purpose. And all that he created has been made to glorify him. Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To, to him be glory forever. Amen. So you see, he had made the heavens and all the earth that he might enjoy his creation. Psalm 104.31 says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. All right, so God created the world and God created man. God created babies who cry. Praise God for that. As much as he delights in his creation, as much as his creation depicts the attributes of himself and, and as much as it glorifies him, there is something special. There is something unique about man, right? What is so unique about man in our passage it was only man that was created in the image of God. If we take a look at our passage in verse 26, it says, Let us make man in our image and our likeness. And in verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, for all the other things that God created, he says what? Let it happen. But for this particular one for man it says God says let us make and so there is a particular significance when it comes to this phrase the image of God obviously anything that the scripture teaches is important but if it's repeated it's very important and if it's said a third time we ought to pay attention to it three times in scripture it says that man was made in the image of God. Do you get that, church? Do you understand how important that is? Have you noticed after that point that everything else in the Bible is about how God deals with man and how man deals with God? Not even the angels have this kind of depiction. And so this naturally leads to this question of what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Some say it has to do with having a personality that is wrapped up in having this conscience understanding and being a uniquely created individual. Some look at man's ability to think creatively, to be a rational being, to make rational thought. Some look at this dimension of 
of having a soul and how that relates to the Spirit of God. Some believe it's all about having a relationship with God, which is expressed in holiness with God. And so there's certainly a lot to explore when it comes to that term or that phrase being made in the image of God. But for the purposes of studying stewardship, one clear message we can understand is that man represents God to the rest of creation. We are made in God's image, church. Not simply that, so that God could just create man with no purpose, but that we might serve as his representatives full of purpose, full of dignity, full of worth. And this is likely how this idea of a ruler or a king came up to be in ancient times. The king would be referred to as this image of God representing whoever that God may be to his people. He was acting on behalf and ruling on behalf of him. We are all made, male and female, created in the image of God to rule for him. Imago Dei fuels purposeful stewardship. So yes, Christ created everything. Amen? And so he created everything. Then creation must be what? His possession. Moses tells his people in Deuteronomy 10, 14, Behold, the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that's in it. So what does this tell us about stewardship? Not only did Christ create everything for us to steward, he also owns everything that we steward. That's the second point of tonight's sermon. Christ owns everything. Everything he created, he owns. Look at Job 41.11. It says, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Whatever is under the whole heaven is his. All these things that we read about in our passage, in creation, all these things are his. Even your life, as I said, is a loan from Christ. He has given you your life to steward for his glory and your good. So as the owner of everything, God desires for us to be redeemed, including people, including governments, including businesses, including the arts. Said another way, God desires for everything to bring him glory. So you might say, hey, you know, I get it, Benji, that, you know, God created everything, but now you say that he owns everything too? I think you've taken it too far. No, I have not taken it too far. God owns everything. This is what the truth of God's word is telling us tonight. All the things that he blesses us with, uh, the education we have, the job we have, the house we have, the spouse, the, the kids, if we even have the slightest thought that any of these things belong to us, we are coveting, we are stealing from the Lord. Hence the title of my sermon, From Theft to Stewardship. Whatever we steal is outweighed countless times over by what we lose. When we rob others, when we rob God, we rob ourselves. That's why God says, thou shall not steal. When we think about possessions, there's really one of three attitudes we can have. What's yours is mine. That's stealing. What's mine is mine. That's selfishness. Or what, what's mine is yours. That's stewardship. Only one of these attitudes pleases the Lord. Only one of these attitudes resembles the heart of God. For God so loved the world that He 
gave his only son. Only one of these attitudes reflect the spirit of Christ. It is more blessed to give than to receive. This evening, we need to see that God does not want us to steal. When we look at murder, right? God hates murder because he, God loves life. God hates adultery because God loves family. God hates robbery because God loves to give. So God doesn't want us to steal. He doesn't want us to be selfish. He wants us to share with others what He has entrusted to us. So may God move us this evening from theft to selfish, to, uh, to faithful stewardship, selflessness, all that with all that He's entrusted to us. So we have an obligation, church, to steward these things well, steward our resources. Christ commands us not to love money, and He commands us to be content with what He has, but He also commands us to work and take care of ourselves financially. In doing so, you're going to find that you're going to fight this tension of providing for yourself and your family, and then also that tension of the, the, the fighting that temptation to covet what others have. Now, for other reasons, you might have some financial setback in your life, right? Or you just need some help to pay your bills. And in those times, of course, it's okay to receive support from your family, from your friends, from organizations, from the church, from, from government. In that verse where it's saying it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive, Paul's words are intended to convey that God commands us not to exploit the generosity of others. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 to 12 says, And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may work, walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So we have a responsibility there, church. With stewardship, we're also called to steward resources for saving, right? Christ leads us to save money for the future. He does. Tomorrow, you don't know what kind of hardship you're going to face, right? You might face an injury. Who knows? You might get sick. And so there's going to be a time also where you're not going to be able to take care of yourself. You're going to be too old. And so for those of you as well who are just getting into your professional careers, and you're, if you're finding yourself overextended financially, you need to fight that temptation to stress out about the situation and instead seek the Lord and counsel. And that could be through people. God works through people. If there's a financial counselor, maybe go talk to one of them. Take steps towards bettering your situation. God can work through that practically. Now when it comes to saving, there's also a temptation to, save, uh, to, to sin because you're going to be placing your hope and trust in that money instead of the Lord. And so what's even more um, detrimental is if you begin uh, to love your savings too much to the point in which you don't give to your church or you don't give to others. At that point, it's an idol in your life. And you need to learn what God is teaching us about stewardship as a church. If your savings, like your TFSA or your RSP, dips down to a certain level, would you lose hope? 
Or would you experience a moment of grief and then continue to trust in the Lord and what He's doing in your life? James 4.14 says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, so we need to steward our resources for giving. Some Christians even argue that you're, you're not required to tithe. Regardless of what your beliefs are about tithing, one thing that you can avoid, God commands us to give generously. Again, there's going to be times in your life where you might not be able to give as much as you'd like, but aim towards doing it. Aim it in such a way that you're able to give more. And so for some of you, that may mean that you need to cut back on some of your expenses. You've got, ex- you got to work extra hard to pay off that debt that's chewing up some of that income so that you'll be able to give. Again, seek the Lord and counsel on how best to approach that situation because we all have you know, unique experiences. Second Corinthians 9, 6-7 says, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, we need to steward our resources for helping. And as a steward of the resources that God gives you, you'll need to manage them in such a way that you can still provide for the needs of others. Providing for the needs of others in practical sense could be monetary, it could be food, it could be clothing, it could be being hospitable with people. Whatever it is, God's calling us to be good stewards. God desires for you to take care of your family, your church, and those in need. First John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? The love of Christ needs to abide in us to steward our resources in helping those in need. All right, let's return to our passage in, in Genesis 1.26 to 28 again. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. So far, we've learned that Christ created everything. Not only does, did he create everything, he owns everything. And then the third point of tonight's sermon is that Christ delegates responsibility. Christ delegates responsibility to you and I. He calls us to manage what he created on his behalf. Now, if you notice this, we don't see the individual members of the Trinity doing the things that they've delegated us to do. They're not the ones that are farming. They're not the ones that are building houses. They're not the ones even preaching the gospel. But if you look at what happens in our world with eyes of faith, you can see that God is meeting the needs of people, drawing them to himself and tending to his creation through billions of people around the world. 
the theme of participating in God's work is picked up by Paul in his first letter to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 6.1, Paul mentions that we are working together with him then. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. You see, church, God is at work in your life and around the world, and you have the privilege to participate in his work. And we need to think about it that way. Just look through the book, books in the Bible. There are countless examples of Christ delegating responsibility to his people. When Jesus builds up his church, he does so through our participation in preaching the gospel. That's a, a responsibility that he has delegated to us. When you eat your bagel for breakfast, for example, Christ provided that to you through what? Through the work of farmers through bakers, truck drivers, the grocery store. We can go on and on about gratitude and thanksgiving in the Bible for all these things, but you get the point. God is helping us steward these things for His glory. On the very first page of the Bible, Genesis, right, the first chapter, we see creation, the creation of human beings made in the image of God who revealed himself initially as the creator of all things, and then it follows another call that his image bearers would imitate him in a certain way by being productive, by working. We were commanded to what? Be fruitful and multiply. This was a command for productivity. It has stewardship implications, and so the concern for stewardship is rooted again in creation. It's rooted in creation. It's not something that man just thought up of one day. Sometimes we think that the New Testament isn't concerned with labor, with industry, with productivity, but that it's only concerned that we love each other and, and, and you know we're saved by grace, not by works. But when we examine the parables and the language of Jesus, we see an emphasis on the call to bearing good fruit. Jesus calls us to be fruitful, not only in the sense of multiplying and, and growing as a people, but for the kingdom's sake. There's an expansion in that call that we had in creation to be productive. The second command given to Adam and Eve was to have, what, dominion over the earth. God installed Adam and Eve as stewards, those who were to rule over all creation. It's not that God just granted them some kind of you know, independent ownership over the planet. No, it's still God's possession. God owns the earth, but God called Adam and Eve to exercise authority over the animals, the plants, the seas, the rivers, the skies, and the environment. They weren't to exercise authority like a reckless king or a reckless ruler to do anything that they wanted Again, God didn't make them the owners of the earth. He made them the stewards of the earth who were to act in His name and for His glory. So immediately after that mandate, right, God creates this garden. It's lush, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. And He commands them to what? To work it and keep it. The command to work and keep is a key understanding in the responsibility that God has given to us. 
It goes with this privilege of being called image bearers of God, being given dominion over the earth. You see, it was at creation that this mandate was given, that humanity was to reflect and mirror God's stewardship over his creation. It goes much farther than any church campaign or church itself. It has to do with how we engage scientific endeavors, how we engage business, how we treat each other, how we treat animals, how we treat the environment. The dominion over the earth is not a license to exploit or pillage or consume or destroy the earth. It's a responsibility to exercise stewardship over our home by working at it, by keeping it. And so that means keeping it from falling apart, keeping it right orderly, maintaining it, preserving it, making it beautiful. The whole science of ecology is rooted in this grounded principle. Right? God didn't say from now on all, all food will just fall from heaven for you. There was manna at the time, but that doesn't happen anymore. And instead, what does God say? He says, you are to work with me right? by being productive, fertilizing, tilling, planting, replenishing, and so on. There's a mandate there. The next commandment we see in passage that was given to Adam and Eve was to what? They were to name all the animals. This was the the birth of science. This was, you know, learning to distinguish all the different species, kinds, and forms, really discerning reality and examining it. This is also part of our stewardship, learning about the place where we live and caring about it. Right? It's not just about keeping a household. It's the entire planet that God has given us dominion over. And so I'll be, I'll be honest, there's some outstanding achievements that man has made over the years. And some of us may remember, or we've learned in history in the 20th century when the first astronauts were sent to the moon, and inevitably part of that memory is Neil Armstrong and him making that first step and saying, hey, this is one giant step for mankind and you could look at that achievement and, and think of it as arrogance. Or you can look at it and, and see, hmm, this is a fulfillment of a mandate that God gave us to have dominion over the earth. You see, human achievements elevate when God delegates. Human achievements elevate when God delegates. Fundamentally, stewardship is not about exercising our God-given dominion over His creation. It's about reflecting the image of our Creator in His care, responsibility, maintenance, protection, and beautification of His creation. In our passage tonight, we observe the concept of stewardship. Right, It's woven into the fabric of creation and this desire to steward is really hardwired in every single one of us, right? We all want to create something. We all want to manage. And So let's recap, right, some examples of stewardship in the Bible. Well, we took a look at Adam. We saw that he was called to work from the very beginning. God had these good intentions for him to work. In Genesis 2.15, we read, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God called Adam to work and to keep the garden. God had called him to do these things on his behalf. God's call to Adam wasn't a burden because 
You see, it happened, that call to work happened before sin came into the world. Even in a perfect world, the original Garden of Eden, work was, was, was part of it. And so that's why I think, you know, in the new heavens and the new earth, I think that there will be some form of work there. Because that's what God intended. We took a look at Joseph, right, overseeing Potiphar's house. I think Joseph is one of the, the best biblical examples of stewardship. When he was brought out of when he was brought to Egypt, right, the Lord made him a successful man. He was in this house under Potiphar, but he managed that house in a way that glorified God. Genesis 39.4 So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. You see, Joseph didn't own the home. He didn't own any of the furnishings in that home. But he, was, he wasn't even responsible for generating income in that home. But he was given stewardship over that house and everything that Potiphar owned referring to that that definition right of stewardship the manager of the household you can see why joseph is that perfect example of what it means to be a steward there's also the example of moses right the israelites where they take a break from farming the land remember christ owns everything and as the owner he makes his desires known to his creation so in Le- leviticus 25 in this story with moses the lord told moses to let people let the people farm the land for six years, but to make them take a break from the farming in the seventh. So what does that have to do with stewardship? Well, that passage and the passage that we were were reading in Genesis 1, we see that Christ owns the earth. He oversees the growth of produce and he knows how to handle his land. Remember church, God owns everything. We are simply managers acting on his behalf. And so as I conclude my sermon tonight, I want you to have this moment of reflection, church. I want you to ask yourself, genuinely, who is the Lord of your life? Who is the Lord of your life? In the end, stewardship in the Bible boils down to this one question, who is the Lord of your life? Are you the Lord of your life or is Christ? Stewardship expresses our obedience regarding managing everything that God has put under our control. It's a commitment to oneself and possessions to God's service, recognizing that we don't have control over our property or ourselves, but that we are to steward what God gives to us. And so while God has graciously entrusted us with care and development and enjoyment of everything that He owns us stewards. We are responsible. We are responsible for managing His creation well. We learn that a steward is one who manages the possessions of another. We are all stewards of the resources, abilities, and opportunities that God has entrusted to our care. And one day we're going to be called to give an account of these things and how we manage these things for Christ. That was the lesson taught in the parable of the talents. God has entrusted to us creation. And we're not allowed to rule over it as we see fit. We are, we are to do this under the watchful eye of Christ. 
having, give, give, having, having been given authority by him to have dominion. Like the servants in the parable of the talents, we're going to be called to give an account of how we have been administrating everything that he has given to us when it comes to our time, when it comes to our money, when it comes to our abilities, when it comes to our wisdom, when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to authority. How are you stewarding those things, church? Are you stewarding those things for the glory of God? We're all going to have to give an account. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as I conclude here. As Christians, we need to embrace this larger biblical view of stewardship. It goes way beyond church budgets. It goes way beyond church buildings. Stewardship connects everything we do with what God is doing in this world. Biblical stewardship helps us live these things out. It helps us to think, to act, to care with purpose. And so as you're reflecting tonight, church, on your, your, your stewardship, are you being a, a faithful steward? As you're reflecting on that, and if you're feeling overwhelmed in that, if you're feeling like maybe you aren't being a faithful steward in all these things, That's the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. You know, we can't live these things out perfectly. We can never live out our faith perfectly. Remember, that's why Christ died. To live the life that you and I were to live. To die the death that you and I deserved. But church, don't just sit and stew in your sin. This is the living hope the gospel called the good news of Jesus Christ calls us to live as representatives of Christ, of our creator. He created everything. He owns everything and he delegates responsibility to us over his creation. We need to be faithful stewards of all God has given us within the opportunities presented through his providence to glorify him, to serve the common good, and to further his kingdom. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for yet another opportunity that you have given to us as a church to gather here and to reflect upon your holiness. Thank you for who you are and what you are doing in our lives. We thank you that you're speaking to us through your word. We thank you that your word does not return void. I pray, God, that you would call us, that you would remind us tonight, Lord, that we are to be faithful stewards with what you've entrusted to us, God. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, that the lives that we have are alone from you. They are not ours because everything was created by you. Everything is owned by you. 
Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have as believers to steward these things for your glory. And God, even when the times that we fail, when we don't faithfully steward these things, I pray in those times that we would recognize our shortcomings and know that there is hope in you. That there is hope in the cross of Jesus Christ because you lived your life perfectly. But Lord, I pray as Christians that we would not just stew in our sin. that we would by your power by your grace be fruitful as you've called us to be fruitful that we would bear much fruit in stewarding what you have entrusted to us we thank you that we're a part of this that we're a part of bringing your glory giving you glory We hope that you are blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.